Great, thank you very much. Uh, can you turn to James chapter 2 and um, from verse 14? Now, if you've got a Bible or in front of your phone or somewhere else, it'd be useful because I'm going to go through the passage. James chapter 2 from verse 14. This is wobbly, isn't it? God, I can survive. It's on two bits of wood. Yeah, 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 it'll be all right. If I go wobbly when I'm reading, you'll, you'll, want, you'll know why. Um, right, so I'm going to read this passage very shortly. Um, just a couple of comments before I do. Um, James is really blunt. Have you noticed that yet? Right? He's blunt. He says it like it is, right? It's, it's absolutely, you know, there's no mincing his words. There's no diplomacy there. He's straight up. He says what he thinks. You know exactly where you stand with James. And we'll see that when we read it. And um, when we're looking at this passage today, I think this passage is written to answer a question. And the question is perhaps the most important question. Well, it is the most important question that you, all of us, need to answer in our lives. And the question is, how do you know that you're really a Christian? Right? How do you know that you're really a Christian? You could even turn it around and say, how do you know someone else is really a Christian? Right? How do you know? Okay? Well, let's read it. James chapter 2, from verse 14. I'm reading from the ESV version. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith, by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. Well done. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture is fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Wow, that's blunt, isn't it? Right? That's blunt. Are you feeling got out from that, right? That's, that's, that's really straight up here, isn't it? And of course, the, um, the emphasis here is that faith without works is dead. And it strikes me, you know, I wonder if um, Duncan was slightly having a go here, because last time I preached, I had to preach the opposite message, you know? <laughs> In October... 
in October, I was asked to preach about grace. <laughs> right? And it was all about how it's by faith and not by works. <laughs> right? It's by faith and not by works. And that was what I was preaching back in October. And suddenly here, I've got to do the opposite. <laughs> right? Thanks, Duncan. You spotted it. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to do the opposite emphasis. It's not actually opposite, as I'll get to. But it's the opposite emphasis. Faith without works is dead. How do, we, how do we square these two things together then? Well, I stand by what I said in October, October the 4th. And um, what's really happening here is you've got Paul reacting to one extreme view and James reacting to the other extreme view. And the extreme view that Paul is reacting to is called legalism. And that says, we have to do all these things. If you don't do this, do that, do that, do the other, then you can't get to heaven, right? Salvation is by works as well. We've got to do things. Got to do it. And circumcision is one of the things that they're arguing about. And Paul says, no, no, don't be silly. You can't earn your way. You can't possibly earn your way to heaven. You can't outweigh your bad deeds with your good deeds. That's crazy. And so on. You can listen to what I said in October. But the opposite extreme to that is called antinomianism or cheap grace, which says it doesn't matter at all what you do. Who cares what you do? Just as long as you've got faith, you're fine. You don't need to worry about doing anything. Just have faith and you're sorted. And that's, that's the opposite extreme. And James has to say, no, 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 that's not right either. Faith without works is dead. And so there's a balance between the two, you see. And a lot of the times when we read the Bible, we need to find a balance between two different kind of perspectives on things. And we all tend to one or other of these kinds of extremes. Some of us tend towards legalism. But we, you know, we like to feel like we're earning our way to salvation. And some of us tend towards the cheap grace, antinomianism, like it doesn't matter what you do, it matter, just got to have faith, just have faith. And we need both of these messages to come and hit us and challenge us. And if, if we're tending towards legalism, we need to get that salvation is by faith alone. Right? and not by works. And if we're tending towards free grace, we need to hear that faith without works is dead. Right? And in our kind of church, which emphasis do you think we naturally lean towards? You know, because I think our kind of church, and many churches generally, lean towards the free grace type of thing. You know, when I preach, or when I read myself, salvation is by faith and not by works, I'm thinking, amen, yes, that's true. Then I hear faith without works is dead, and I'm like, oh, I don't like that very much. You know? I don't like that so much, but probably that means I need to hear it more, right? Probably that means that's, this, is the, this is the emphasis I need, this is the emphasis we need to hear, that actually we need to do things as well. We can't just sit happy, I've got faith, I'm fine, I'm definitely sorted now, yeah. right? We need the works as well, and that's the emphasis that James is talking about in this passage. And let's just go through it. The, the sort of bluntness is so obvious, isn't it? Verse 14, what good is it? If someone says he has faith and does not have works, can that faith save him? Well, the answer is no, isn't it? Obviously, right? He's obviously expecting, no, 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 don't be silly. What do you think? You can't just have faith and not have works. That's crazy. Your faith must lead to works. Your faith will naturally lead to works. What faith results in is works. And if you're not doing something about it, are you really a Christian? Are you really a Christian? Jesus even said this kind of thing, didn't he? Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commands. John 14. If you love me, you'll keep my commands. So how do we know if someone loves Jesus? They're doing what Jesus said. 
They're doing something about it, yeah. right? They're doing something. What are Jesus' commands? Well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. Be holy. Be pure. Act justly. Show mercy. Have compassion. Preach the gospel. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse the lepers. Go into all the world. Don't stop meeting together. All, I, I could go on and on and on, right? All, these are all the things that people who love Jesus do, isn't it, right? That's how we know if someone loves Jesus. They're doing those kind of things. That's the kind of things they're doing. That's what Jesus said. If you love Jesus, you will do these things. You will keep these various commands. And we can tell, this is how, again, he says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Okay, so repentance is deciding, resolving, I'm not going to do that again. I'm going to change. Well, that's got to bear some fruit, hasn't it? What you do, right? We've got to see some difference then in it. How do we, you know, how do we tell the false prophets from the good prophets? By their fruit, by what they're doing, you will tell them. You know, you will see from what they do. So Jesus said exactly this kind of thing. And this is the emphasis that James is bringing out in this passage. And so then he goes on in verse 15. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? What good is that? Right? Here he's criticising words without deeds. Right? Bless you. you know? Well, we can't really say bless you unless we're prepared to actually do something to bless them. Right? Practical help here. You know, we're doing a food bank. It's great that we're doing that. And CAP and all these various other things, baby basics, etc. You know, we've got to do stuff with our faith. It's got to, it's got to actually translate into action. Somewhere down the line, it's got to translate into action. And, and Jesus is criticising the idea that you can just not bless somebody who you know needs something who needs something you can give. And it reminds me of the parable of the Good Samaritan. You know, when Jesus is asked, what does it mean? Who is my neighbour? I know I've got to love my neighbour, but who is my neighbour? And Jesus tells this story of this chap who's mugged on the road and he's left injured and beaten up, open wounds, money stolen. And, and the priest and the Levite walk by and they're not, a good, they're not good neighbours. And it's the Samaritan who actually stops and helps. And he's the neighbour. But it struck me, you know, reading it through the eyes of COVID, right? What does Jesus say about the priests and the Levites? They didn't just walk by, they walked by on the other side. My goodness. Social distancing, folks. Whoa. My goodness, you know. Maybe part of the reason they didn't want to help is because of a risk, right? Maybe he thought he could be infected here, right? There's a risk involved in helping people, isn't there? There's always a risk involved. Somebody might turn their back on you. Somebody might, you know, it might not work out. There's always a risk involved. And part of what Jesus is criticising in the priest and the Levite is they don't want to take that risk of helping someone. They don't want to take that risk. And, but we need to, you know, we need to take risks. Helping people involves risk. All the time it involves risk. And here we are living in a time of COVID. And I'm challenged when I read about how Christians acted in past plagues. In past plagues, think about the plague in 1665 in London, right? That plague killed a quarter of the population of London, right? A quarter of the population. Just, just stop and think about that. Imagine a quarter of your school, right? A quarter of your relatives, a quarter of your street, a quarter of your friends, a quarter of your church. What did the Christians do? in that situation. 
Well, the rich Christians ran off, right? I'm getting out of here, mate. You know, I'm running off. I'm going to my country house. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Lock up the church. I'm off. That wasn't a great witness, was it? Right? But the Puritans went in, went into London, went into where the risk was, said these people need the gospel, these people need prayer, these people need food, they need water, spiritual food and physical food and water. And they went into London and they preached. And they went into London and they opened up the churches that were closed and they preached a gospel of repentance. And the, the, the churches were crowded. And it was even illegal. And they said, well, I don't care if it's illegal. God's given us a higher authority. We have to preach the gospel. And they went in and preached. Many people repented. They even went into the boarded up houses where there was quarantined people who definitely had the plague. And they went in there and they helped them. And they prayed for them. And they gave them food and water. Now, who, which is the real Christian out of those, the rich ones or the Puritans? How do we know which ones are Christians, right? We look back and think the people who did something, right? The people who did something, right? And they got such a huge moral authority from acting in that way, from helping, practical help of people. Such a moral authority that the law was changed just a few years later to recognise in law non-conformity. That means people who worship not according to the Anglican Church. That's us, right? Legal recognition for non-conformity came because the Puritans did stuff in the plague. Wow, what a heritage. What a heritage. Right? And, you know, we've, we're living in a time of kind of plague, but in comparison, you know, 120,000 is, is bad, right? It's a lot of people, but it's 0.2% of the population, right? By comparison, it's hardly anything, right? And the Puritans went into where the plague was, went in there, you know? Another comparison, 120,000, double that number, double that number have been killed by abortion in that time period. Double that number. And for 100,000 deaths, we all panic and say, this is terrible, this is terrible. Why aren't we panicking about those deaths? Why does this 100,000 count and that 200,000 not count? Why aren't we saying, lock down these abortion clinics, lock them down, they're factories of death, they're killing people. We need that perspective of being prepared to take risk. You know, you can only show courage when there actually is risk, right? You can only show bravery and courage when there's actually a risk there. And we need to be prepared to take risks to do, to do, to do something. So verse 17, faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, is dead. Are you getting the message now? What do you think? Are you alive? Right? Are you alive? Because if you are alive, we should be able to see some works from it. Then verse um, 18, someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from works and I'll show you my faith by my works. You see what he's saying here? I can show you I've got faith by the things I do. I can show you I've got faith because I've got things that I can show you that I'm doing here. That's how I'll show you that I've got faith. That's how we know that someone has got faith. And then you get to this great verse 19. And, and James is being sarcastic here. You believe that God is one. Well done. Slightly rephrasing the ESV, but that's what he means. Well done. Even the demons believe that and shudder. So the point here is that belief isn't enough. You can't say I'm a Christian because I believe the right stuff. Isn't that interesting? 
right? You know, because the demons believe the right stuff, they know very well what's true, right? So just believing the right stuff isn't enough here. And it's interesting, by the way, because um, James, when he says this phrase, it will resonate with all the people listening. Like if I was to say today, our Father, you all know what I'm referring to, aren't I? Yeah? Who aren't in heaven, etc., etc. If I was to say something else, like, um, um, God so loved the world. Right, you got it. Yeah. And we don't even repeat these verses every day or every week, right? But the Jews would repeat a prayer every day from Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Right? And that was like, that's like the core central belief of Judaism, that, that God is one. The one thing you must believe to be a Jew is that God is one. And of course, that's a countercultural belief in those days. In the ancient world, most people believed in many gods. So it's countercultural to believe in just one God. And so when James says here, you know, you believe that the Lord is one. You believe, you know, here is the Lord God, the Lord is one. You see, they're, they're going to think, oh, yes, 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 that's very important. We do believe that, and it's countercultural to believe it. Well, well done for that, says James. And, um, and we believe lots of things that are countercultural. There's a heaven, there's an earth, there's only one, there's only one, play, one way to get to heaven through Jesus. That's countercultural. Sexual morality matters, that's countercultural. And James is like, well, well done for believing the right things, you know? Okay, so that's one step, you know, you've got somewhere there. And, and, but the point is, you can believe all the right things, all the right doctrines, every little bit of the Bible. That doesn't prove you're a Christian, right? That's not how you know you're a Christian, just because you believe the right things. Because the demons believe it as well. But what's the difference here? Well, there is a difference, isn't there? Because the interesting point is the demons believe it and shudder, right? They believe the truth about God and they shudder. And we believe them and we rejoice and we delight in them. And a key sign that you're a Christian is that you delight in God, actually. And you delight in his ways, you delight in his word, you delight in his presence, because the demons don't do that, right? The demons hate that stuff, right? If you're a Christian, you're delighting in God. You're delighting in his ways. You're delighting in what he says and what he does and stuff. And the other thing is, if you're a Christian, you're working to expand the kingdom of God. Because the demons are not doing that. The demons are working to frustrate the kingdom of God. Christians are working to expand the kingdom of God. They're doing stuff to expand the kingdom of God. So, let's continue through the passage James, being really blunt and sarcastic. You want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith to work apart from works is useless. Let me show you, says James. Let me show you. So how does he want to show them? Well, let's go to the Old Testament. Let's go to the Bible. Let's look at some characters. And who's the character he picks first? It's Abraham. And the reason he picks Abraham is because Abraham is the prime example of faith in the Bible. If you want to talk about faith with a Jew, you go to Abraham. That's what he knows. So he goes straight to Abraham, the key example, the, the ultimate patriarch of the Jewish faith and ultimately of Christian faith as well. And he, and he says, was that Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? And we did this great series last year, didn't we, on Hebrews 11 and the heroes of faith. And Abraham was one of those heroes. And so was Rahab, who comes in next. And, um, you know, but it strikes you when you read Hebrews 11, if you noticed, it says, by faith, they did this. By faith, they did that. 
By faith, they did the other. How do we know they had faith? Because they did something about it. Right? They did something. And here's Abraham, and, and God says, sacrifice your son, Isaac. And Abraham is like, well, God promised that my offspring would come through Isaac, so if I've got to sacrifice Isaac, that's God's problem. He must be going to raise him from the dead. And that's what he believed, according to Hebrews 11. And, um, and he does it by faith. And, uh, and there we know, and, and James goes on, you see that faith was active in his works and faith was completed by his works. It's like, you know, faith naturally leads to works and that's how you, you know, you can't have faith and not, not let it do something in you, not let it do something through you, not let it result in something happening in your life, something, you're doing something about it, right? And that's naturally what's going to happen when we look at these heroes of faith, how do we know they had faith? Because they did something about it, it did something with it. And the scripture is fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. And, and he is called a friend of God a couple of places in the Old Testament as well as here. What, a, what an amazing aspiration to have, by the way, to be a friend of God. What an amazing thing that we can be called friends of God too, right? A friend. You know, God that one level is so separate from us and so other than us and so much better than us and so much holier than us and all that. But he doesn't just say, I want you to serve me. He says, I want you to be my friend. I want you to be my friend. What an amazing thing, right? To be a friend, someone you can talk to, someone you can relate to, someone you can know and have relationship with. That's what Christianity is all about ultimately. Are you a friend? Do you count God as a friend? Are you friends with God? Is, is, are you someone that God would say, yes, they are my friend? What a, it's like the most you know, honouring thing to be a friend of God, you know? I might, you know, people might say, I know, I'm, I'm friends with so-and-so famous person, I'm friends with so-and-so. Well, I'm a friend of God, right? That's bigger, sorry, that's bigger. <laughs> right? And that's, that's more important and that's more powerful. A friend of God, what an amazing thing to have, what an amazing recognition that is part of what it means to be a Christian is to be a friend of God. So James says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Are you getting the message yet? Right? It's works and faith or it's faith and works. He never says you don't need faith here. Right? He never says you don't need faith. You do need faith. Yeah? And what is faith, by the way? It's ultimately it's trust, isn't it? Right? It's not just believing the stuff, it's trusting in it, that it actually means something for me, it's making a difference for me, that Jesus didn't just die on a cross for somebody, he died on a cross for me. Right? Jesus didn't just forgive people, he forgave me. Jesus hasn't just saved people, he forgave, he's saved me. And it's ultimately got to lead to commitment as well, to follow and do and make a difference and, and do what Jesus said. So then um, James goes to Rahab, another of the heroes of faith, absolute contrast, right? Abraham is a sort of archetypal hero of faith um, and the patriarch of the faith. Rahab is a Canaanite prostitute, right? Completely the opposite thing, but that's deliberate, isn't it? And yeah, how do we know that Rahab had faith? Because she helped the spies, she hid the spies, she did something about it. By faith, they did. By faith, people do. So how do we know whether we're real Christians? The conclusion is verse 26, isn't it? For as the body 
apart from the Spirit, is dead. So also, faith, apart from works, is dead. It's a good definition of death there, by the way. The biblical definition of death is when the Spirit leaves the body. Jesus, um, it says, you know, his Spirit left him and he died. That's, that's what it means to die when your Spirit leaves your body. But the point that James is making is that faith apart from works is dead. It's so blunt. He's so blunt, isn't he? How can you think you can just have faith without works? That's dead. That's dead. You've got to have a living faith. And the living faith will result in you doing things, won't it? Living faith will result in you making a difference. Living faith will be so people can look back on your life and say that their faith led to them doing something about it. They did something about it. And, and I know that many people in this church are doing lots of stuff and that's evidence that we have faith, right? We have faith. People are running the food bank every week, week in, week out, COVID or no COVID, lockdown or no lockdown, snow, sun, rain, whatever it might be, that they're running it, right? Out of faith, motivated by faith, right? Baby Basics is running, CAP is running, Polytunnel, um, caring for people. I know that Hastings is caring for somebody and, and he carried on doing it even when the whole family got COVID, including the person he's caring for. Yeah. And he carried on caring for them. That's what faith does, isn't it? Um, and many other people are teaching, going into schools and nurses, doctors going to hospitals every day and other people just, you know, caring, looking after children at home and maybe working from home and all that, that all of this stuff requires faith that you know, something's got to be done in these things. We're doing stuff. And, yeah, so the question is, how do you know you're a real Christian? Have you got the answer yet? How do you know you're a real Christian? Because you've A, got faith, and B, that faith is being translated into works. Right? You've got faith, number one, and the faith is being translated into works, number two. And I think that... For some people today listening and watching, what God is wanting to say is, so what are you going to do? Right? What are you going to do? Are you doing something? Right? Maybe God's prompting you to do something that you've been putting off or avoiding doing. Right? And you think, yes, I need to do this thing. But I think that also, for some of us, the opposite way around can count, can't it? Because I think James could have also said to some people, works without faith is dead. Right? You need both, right? It's not just works either, you know, works without faith is dead as well, right? So for some of us, okay, you're doing all this stuff, are you applying faith to it? Are you doing it in faith? Are you applying faith to it? Are you praying about it? Are you seeing God work in it? Are you seeing your faith make a difference? How is what you're doing different to how somebody who's not a Christian is doing it? Can people see that? Is that evident um, in the way in which you do things? So. I'm going to pray. Let's, let's finish and let's pray. Mm. I just want to take a moment as well just to um, allow God to speak into our hearts as, as to highlight what he might be saying to each of us individually about this. How is he prompting you in response to this now? And Father, we thank you that you have provided an amazing salvation for us. We thank you that we can have assurance of salvation as well. We can know. We thank you that you've called us this amazing, amazing opportunity to be a friend of God. 
a friend of God. Thank you for the amazing honours and, and blessings that you bestow on us. Lord, we want to live lives that are worthy of the calling that you've given to us. We want to live lives that are worthy. We want to live lives that make a difference. We want to be people who get out there and expand your kingdom in this world and make a difference in this world. Show us how. Give us the courage. Give us the faith. Give us the hope. Give us the vision to make a difference in this world, to do things that make a difference. Equip us, Lord, and, and inspire us in how we act and how we do. And let us be people that others can point to and say, yeah, they definitely were a Christian. That person definitely is a Christian. Thank you, Lord. Amen.